we're talking about what's so great about salvation. One of the misconceptions about this subject is this, especially if we've been in church for any length of time, uh, sometimes we automatically think, um, I already know everything about salvation. It's really an elementary principle. Uh, but let's not ever get in the frame of mind that we know everything about a particular subject. The Bible is, you, you could exhaust the Bible all day and still find information. So the Bible is full of information to feed our souls. And so we've been looking at what's so great about it. And, uh, and we've looked at a different point of views. And tonight what I want to do, like I said last week, what I want to do tonight is I just want to look at Scripture and I want to prove to you in Scripture that it is possible for a believing Christian to lose their salvation. It's possible that somebody who once believed walk, can walk away and apostatize their faith and fall away. And we do not adhere to the doctrine of once saved, always saved. And so that just kind of puts it in simple terms there. We, we don't adhere to that doctrine, although there are people who can make a strong case for that. And we don't, uh, we're not ignoring the fact that people can make a strong case for that. But what I want you to see is if you look at the whole counsel of Scripture, I believe that the Scripture better uh, teaches us, and, we, and, and when we read the Scriptures, there's a better uh, interpretation of you can see throughout Scripture people losing out with God. I think that's very, very clear. I, I think it's, uh, if, you, if you have any knowledge of Scripture, if you read Scripture, you'll quickly find that people really do lose out on their salvation. And uh, how many would have uh, testified that you've seen it in real life? You've seen people who once believed and they're not necessarily uh, believing anymore. So we, we see it in, in experience, and we can also see it in Scripture. So what I want to do tonight, this is our game plan tonight. We're just going to look at, at Scripture, and we're going to look at uh, people. We're going to look at some parables. We're going to uh, look at some situations, uh, some warnings in Scripture that teaches us that people can lose out on their salvation. Now, Hebrews chapter 6 is, a, is one of those Scriptures uh, that uh, is a, is a, is a, uh, really teaches this aspect that we're going to save that scripture for our last class because um, that scripture was going to take a lot more time than what I have tonight. So I'm going to start from the ground up, and then we're going to end with uh, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4 through 6. All right, so we're going to look at a few scriptures tonight to, uh, to uh, solidify our belief that somebody can lose their salvation, all right? They can lose their salvation. Um Calvinism states that once you're saved, you're always saved. Arminianism, that school of thought, we believe that the Scripture teaches you can lose out. right? And so we're going to explore that particular subject. So what I want to do tonight is just, I'm going to read a few Scriptures, and then I'm going to look at four main Scriptures to support this idea of how can you lose your salvation now, or <coughs> the process of losing your salvation I want to just quickly mention that now for me as a Christian, I was kind of raised as if you can lose your salvation at just by thinking the wrong thought. <clears throat> or I was raised kind of believing, and even though they didn't teach it publicly behind the pulpit, it was kind of assumed, and the feeling of that burden that I could lose 
my salvation if I said one bad word, I've lost it. And so I, I remember always repenting of my sin on Sunday morning. You know, I took a pencil from school, and it wasn't my pencil, so I know I'm going to go to hell for that. You know what I'm saying? I, and I took too many cookies from the cookie jar. Y'all, y'all know what I'm saying? They only said I could take one. I took four. But you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so so you, 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 you have this feeling that I am going to lose my salvation just by one little sin. I, I've lost it. You know, and so that's the extreme of one view. And the extreme of the other view is you can never lose it. All right? So you have two extremes here. And I, I'm not advocating the extreme that you can lose your salvation by one little sin. If you leave tonight and commit one little sin, you've lost it. That, that's really ludicrous. I mean, we don't, you know, you can't lose your salvation like that. And so nor am I advocating that once you're saved, you're always saved. And it doesn't matter what you do, you're just, you're going to, you're going to be saved for all eternity. So let's look at it. First Timothy chapter number one. First Timothy chapter number one and verse number eighteen. Look at the scriptures just very briefly. First Timothy chapter number one. First Timothy chapter number one, verse eighteen. And uh, you'll see Timothy here. You'll see um, actually Paul writing to his spiritual son Timothy, uh, and then he explains something in verse number eighteen. He's telling Timothy, he says, I'm charging you, this, my son Timothy. He says, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage a good warfare. So how many would agree with me that in a Christian life, or in the Christian journey, we do have a spiritual warfare to engage in? So there is a warfare being waged. Verse number 19, he says, having faith, and a good conscience, which some have rejected concerning their the faith, some translations reads their faith, and having shipwrecked their faith. So he is writing to his son Timothy, and he clearly explains that, listen, there are some that's going to reject the faith. There are even some that's going to be shipwrecked in their faith. He goes on and mentions a few people. Alexander's one of them. He, he says these, these, these folks have rejected and shipwrecked their faith. So it's interesting to me, here is a, an apostle, here is a man of God writing to his spiritual son Timothy and clearly defining to him that there, there are those who did not hold to the faith in good conscience and really in the end they shipwrecked their faith. They shipwrecked their faith. What about Jesus says this in John chapter 15. Red words here. Jesus says in John chapter 15 and verse number 6, John 15 verse number 6, Jesus uh, speaks very clearly to his disciples. He says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. Did you notice the phrase there? If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered and you're gathered up and thrown in fire. So it's conditional. If you don't continue to stay in me, if you don't continue to abide in me, then you are cast out as a branch. How many would see that little article there, if? And a whole lot depends on if here. If you don't abide in me, 
then you're going to be cast out as a branch and you're going to be withered. Revelation chapter 22, verse number 19, John, who is the apostle who wrote this book, he ends this book by saying something very profound. Sometimes we don't, um, sometimes we don't look at the, the very last words here, but I think this is important. In Revelation chapter number 22, verse number 19, he, John ends the book. He's almost ready to close the book out. And he says that if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, speaking of Revelation, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. He says, so if you try to take away from the prophecy, and you try to take away what I have said, or replace what I've said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take your name out of the book of life. Now how many would uh, raise your hand and agree that that implies your name was written in the book of life? So their name was written in the book of life. And God says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take your name out of the book of life if you try to add to this book. Colossians chapter number 1. Colossians chapter number 1 is a great example as well. Colossians chapter 1. And what I'm doing is just building a foundation. And there is so many scriptures that indicate a person can lose out. I'm only going to read some of them because it, there is a plethora of scriptures that indicate this topic. Uh, Colossians chapter number 1 and verse number 21, the apostle said it this, And you, who once was alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. Go to verse number 22. In the body of his flesh through death, to present, your, present you holy, blameless, and above reproach in his sight. Verse number 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So he, he's clearly defining to these believers here that you, there's that article in verse 23, if, if you continue in the faith and you're not moved away from the gospel. He says, he says listen, you were once alienated. At one time you were alienated by your, your works. You were wicked. He says, but if you continue in the faith, if you're grounded and steadfast, and you're not moved away from this, he says, this is the gospel that I've preached to every creature. So there is a condition here. There is a condition here. What about 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 1? 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 1. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says it like this, Now the Spirit speaks expressly in the last days or latter days that some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. You notice the phrase that the Apostle said that there will be some who will depart from the faith and they will give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. One of a clear sign of a backslider is a person who continually gives heed to something that's not found and written in the Word of God. And I hear an amen. When you are not giving yourself to the Word of God and walking in the principles, and now get this, principles and precepts of the Word of God. Now listen, it's very important. Everybody, I, I think this is important for me to say this. The Bible that I have right here is not, everybody get this, the Bible 
is not a systematic theology book. Okay, It's not. We have put it into a theology book. We have put it into systems so we can help understand it. But the Bible is filled with principles and precepts. And if you don't apply those principles and precepts to your life, it will never work. Am I right about it? It will never work. If you don't apply, it works if you work it. But if you don't work the Word, it ain't going to work for you. If you don't apply it to your life, if you don't take heed to the Word of God, apply it to your life, and make adjustments to your life as a result of what you heard, you will never bear fruit. Jesus is the root. You're connected to the root. But if you're connected to the root, you're going to bear fruit. Can I hear an amen? So a true believer, if they have the root system connected to Christ, you're going to bear fruit. Okay? You're going to bear fruit. Now, Hebrews chapter 3 and verse number 6. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse number 6. I want you to notice what the apostle here states. In Hebrews chapter 3 and verse number 6. Verse number 6. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Do you see that? Somebody say amen. you got to hold firm to the end. He says, so Christ is over his household of faith, which includes us. Those who have put their faith in Christ, we are considered a part of his house or his household. But you're only considered a part of his household if you continue to put your faith in him and continue to hold faith or confidence. The word confidence there is the Greek word faith. So substitute the word confidence with faith. Whose house we are if we hold fast the faith. You've got to hold fast the faith. Everybody raise your right hand and say, I've got to hold fast to the faith. You've got to hold fast to the faith. You've got to hold fast to it. He says, You're a part of the household of God if you hold fast to the, the faith. Uh, 2, Peter, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse number 20. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 20. I want you to look at it very briefly. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse number 20. Verse number 20. And I want you to see this. First, uh, see 2 Peter chapter 2, verse number 20. For if after they have escaped, if, after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it and turned from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb. A dog returns to his own vomit and, and so having washed to her wallowing in the mire. You see, so, so Peter here makes it very clear that these people who he's speaking to, and primarily speaking of false teachers in the context of this passage, he says these people have they, they have escaped the pollutions of the world because they have the knowledge of Christ. But he says, but they've turned away from it, and it was better that they've never known than to turn away. Can I hear an amen? So they have turned away from it. 
Go to 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 17. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 17. This further illustrates the point. For 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3, I want you to look at verse number 17. Verse number 17. 2 Peter 3 and verse number 17. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But look at verse 18. This is crucial. Verse 18, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. So he says it's possible, verse number 18, uh, he ends this epistle by telling, by, uh, by Peter here, telling those who of, are like faith. Because you remember 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 1, he's speaking to saved individuals. He's, say, he's speaking to Christians here. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Simon, uh, bondservant and the apostle of Jesus, to those who obtained like precious faith. Look at it. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse number 1. To those who have obtained precious, the like precious faith and the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So he's not speaking to unbelievers here. He is speaking to believers. Simon Peter says, to those who have obtained like precious faith. These are believers he's speaking to. So he ends the epistle by warning these believers, it's possible that you can lose out if you do not, if you do not remain steadfast in the faith which was once delivered to you. You see that. Somebody say amen. So you know, sometimes, now I understand that when you read Scripture, you've got to read Scripture in the context in which it was written. And he is most definitely referring to individuals who have obtained salvation through Christ. So he ends the epistle by saying you've got to be aware that you don't lose your steadfastness, but you remain in the steadfastness. Uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 24. 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 24. 1 John chapter number 2. 1 John chapter number 2 and verse number 24. Verse number 24. And look at this. Therefore, this is John, let that abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will also abide in the Son and in the Father. You see, he uses that article, if, if you abide in Him. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will also abide in the Son and in the Father. So, you've got to abide. Everybody shout this with me. I've got to abide. You've got to continue to abide. Now, this is, remember I said a few weeks ago, salvation is just not a one-time experience. It, it, you, you, we do experience a conversion. A, some of us experience a crisis moment. But salvation is also, uh, uh, you, you are being saved. And then you shall be saved. Is that right? I was saved. I'm being saved. And at the end, I'm going to be saved because I'm going to be resurrected with Him. And can I hear an amen? And so what you've got to see here, it's a journey. It's, it's growth. It's development. It's called discipleship. We continue to abide in Him by continuing believing in His Word and believing in His name. Revelation chapter 3, verse 5. Revelation chapter 3. 
and verse number 5. Revelation chapter 3. That's beginning with verse number 5. I want you to see this. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come unto you as a thief. And you will not know what hour I will come upon you. Verse, look at verse number 2. Go to Revelation 3, verse 2. Be watchful, strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember therefore how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come unto you as a thief. And you will not know what hour that I will come. See, so he says you've got to hold fast. You've got to strengthen the things that remain and hold fast to the end. Now, that particular scripture is probably the weakest scripture of all the scriptures I've read, but I wanted just to add that to you. Uh, now, what does it mean? What does it mean to backslide? What does it mean to lose out on your salvation? Salvation may be lost only when we continue, continue and willful commit habitual sin. When we continue to commit habitual sin, we will backslide and eventually lose out. Okay? So it's not a one-time thing that you do. It's not a one-time mess up. You see, sometimes as Christians, you know, we commit sin, okay, for various reasons, but that doesn't mean that you lose your covenant with God. Sin causes you to be out of fellowship with Christ. So sometimes as, you know, things happen and we commit sin, you know, we become out of fellowship with Christ. What brings us back into fellowship with Christ? Repentance. Running to Him and repenting. Having a clean heart before God. And when we sin, we must quickly repent of our sin and run to Him. Let's not stay in our sin, but repent of our sin. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Grace does not give us a license to sin. Can I hear an amen? It doesn't give us a license to sin because we're in grace. You see, the Bible says... Um, in 1 John chapter 2, verse number 1. 1 John chapter 2, verse number 1. 1 John chapter 2, and beginning with verse number 1. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And He Himself is the propitiation for our sins, not only our sins, but for the sins of the world. He's speaking to believers here. He says, if there is sin, then you need to confess it immediately. So if there is sin in a believer's life, you must confess it immediately. Now, listen to me. If there is sin, you've committed sin as a Christian, you must confess it immediately, be quick about it, and become right with God, okay? If you don't confess that sin, or if you confess it and continue to live in it, which is I don't believe is true repentance, then what happens is, since you are his child and he is the father, then number two, this is what happens. God will discipline you over the sin. Can I hear an amen? So when, when there is sin, you must repent immediately, confess it and make it right. Either you confess, you make it right with God, confess it. If you've sinned against your brother, you confess it to your brother, make it right with your brother. You see, make it right with God, make it right with each other. That's why there's a cross. There's a horizontal and vertical. You make it right with people, make it right with God. But if you don't do that, or if you sin and you quote-unquote repent, and yet you're not turning away from the sin, I mean, there's a lot of people that repent but haven't really repented. 
They're just sorry they got caught. Can I hear an amen? But what happens is God will, as your father, chastise you and bring discipline in your life if you don't get rid of that sin. And if you continue to abide in the sin, you're going to lose out in your salvation. Can I hear an amen? That's why Psalms chapter number 1. Psalms chapter number 1. Psalms chapter number 1. I want you to see it here. Psalm chapter number 1. Now, this is Old Testament, but I just want to bring a principle out of this, okay? So uh, this, the writer here is not necessarily, he's not necessarily talking about backsliders. So I want you to know that. But I want you to, I want to bring out a principle. Psalm chapter number 1. Psalm chapter number 1 and verse number 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. That is the progression of a backslider. If you continue to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Now how many knows that walking is a progressive step? You're progressively walking in a direction you shouldn't be walking in. So the number one thing that happens to a backslider is that you're going the way of sinners. Now, I'm not talking about hanging out with a sinner. Listen to me. I'm not advocating you shouldn't hang out with sinners because I believe the Scripture teaches contact without contamination. That you can be in contact with the world without the world contaminating you. Contact without contamination. Say that with me. Contact without contamination. So it's possible that you can eat with a sinner. It's possible you can talk with them. You can't get away from sinners. Can I hear an amen? Jesus ate with them. But that doesn't mean they contaminate you. How many of you've got enough Holy Ghost power inside of you? You should be contaminating them. Can I hear an amen? You should be contaminating them. Them not influence you. So the way of a backslider, number one, is they're going in the same direction as a sinner. They're walking in the path of the sinner. They're sitting in the seat of the scornful. Guess what? Backsliders begin to laugh and scorn at the very things they used to stand up for. The very things they used to stand up for, now they're laughing at. That's how you know you're a backslider. The very things they would not compromise on, now they're compromising on it and laughing about it and being scornful about it because they are in the way of a sinner. Do you see the progression here? The person that walks, the person that stands, and the person that sits. The same person is walking, then he stands, and he sits, because that's what a backslider does. He goes in the direction, he's walking, then he stands in it, and then he sits in it. Somebody say amen. So salvation is not lost overnight. Salvation is not lost just because you messed up yesterday and you cussed out somebody and kicked a cat yesterday. Come on, somebody. How many knows you shouldn't be cussing anyway? But I've seen some cussing Christians, though. Come on, somebody. How many knows? Y'all looking at me like I'm crazy? I mean, I look at Facebook every day. Come on, somebody. So what, what happens is he, he, he's walking, he's standing, and now he's seated. The point, the principle, the precept I want you to see from this is that backsliding is not something that just happens overnight. Backsliding is a process. 
backsliding, you're going backwards. You're taking the steps to go back. Right? Going in the wrong direction. Christians don't blow out. Christians leak out. Alright? That's just something you need to remember. Say it with me. Christians don't blow out. They leak out. Right? It's just a process. It, it, they, they leak out. So, what about it? Backsliding is a willful, deliberate act of sinning. It's willful. It's deliberate. You make the decision to do it. It's a willful, deliberate act. It's habitual. It's persistent. It's not something that happens overnight, but it can start. It always has a starting point. Can I say, can somebody say amen? What about Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26? Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 26. Hebrews chapter 10, look at this scripture. It's, it's an interesting scripture. Hebrews chapter 10, and verse number 26. Now this is, this is a, this is, I suppose it's Paul. We don't know who wrote Hebrews. No idea who wrote Hebrews, but uh, whoever wrote Hebrews, verse 26. If we sin, what is that word? Somebody, come on, shout it out. What is it? After we have received the knowledge of the truth, there now no longer remains a sacrifice for our sin. So I'm saying to you that backsliding is a deliberate, willful act of your, of your will. Nobody made you to do it. It's a consciously willful, deliberate act of backsliding. You, you've, you've done it. Now, can a Christian lose their salvation? Well, I think that they can lose it by backsliding, yes. But it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen by one sin. All right? It's a habitual act of you making the decision to do a willful, deliberate sin. Now, after that's been said, I want to prove to you through a few scriptures that Jesus a couple parables. Now, I'm going to read a couple parables to you, and this is what I want you to see, because many people will say, well, these parables that Jesus quoted doesn't really apply to people's salvation. And what I want to propose to you is, because there's people that will argue the point, especially Calvinists, will argue the point that this is pre-Christian, okay? And so therefore, it really doesn't apply to Christian behavior or conduct, because it's before the pre-Christian era. But I want to present to you that uh, that these principles that Jesus is listing in these uh, parables are principles that govern our relationship with Christ. Jesus is just not uttering a bunch of words here to fill up space and time. These are principles that Jesus is uttering from his mouth to help us govern our relationship with God. And so if we believe that the Scriptures is infallible, and we believe the Scriptures is for our faith and practice, and I want you to look at it because I think it's interesting that we should look at these Scriptures and we should consider what Jesus is saying, especially when we come to these certain Scriptures. What about Luke chapter number 8? Let's look at Luke chapter number 8. Luke chapter number 8. Luke chapter number 8. Luke chapter number 8, and beginning with verse number 11. Luke chapter number 8, and beginning with verse number 11. And um, Jesus has given the explanation of the parable. 
he is explaining or giving the interpretation of the parable. And what I would like to do for the sake of time is just read to you the interpretation of the parable that Jesus explains in verse number 11. So Hebrews chapter number 8 and beginning with verse number 11, Jesus says it like this. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. You see that phrase there. Lest they believe and be saved. Verse 13. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, who believe for a while, and in time of temptation fall away. Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they heard, go out and are choked with the cares and riches and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it, see that, and bear fruit with patience. Now this parable, I I believe, holds great truth to us. Because Jesus states here, basically, there's two types of people. There are those who hear the word for a while, temporarily, for a while they receive it, and either they fall away from the, because of the cares of this world or the pleasures of this world, they believe for a while, and then they fall away. Then there are those who receive the word on good ground, and they bear fruit. Because Jesus made a distinction that the other class of people they don't bear fruit unto maturity. But the people who receive the word, they receive it with patience, and they bear fruit unto maturity. So let me establish this, because I think it's important, that if you are genuinely saved, if you are saved, you are born again, your life will eventually bear fruit that will testify of your salvation. Would you agree with that? That there will be fruit that will testify of your salvation. There will be fruit to maturity. So, number one, verse number 13, he states that there are people who will believe, verse number 13, there are people who will believe only temporarily. Verse 13, but the ones on the rock are those who, when they heard, received the word with joy, they have no root, who believe for a while, but they fell away because of temptation. So, the first group of people is the group of people who believed for a while and they fell away. Jesus then says the other class of people are found in verse number 15. He says these people, these are the ones that fall on good ground. They've heard the word with a good heart. They keep the word and they bear fruit with patience. So two classes of people. The one class, they hear it for a while and then they fall away. And then there are those who hear the word, and they keep the word, and they bear fruit. Do you see that, ladies and gentlemen? So now the question we got to ask ourselves, does this really speak of salvation in the terms of what we're talking about tonight? I personally believe it does, and my study renders that conclusion. Now, why? Because look at verse number, verse number 12. This is the reason why I think it does. Verse number 12, I think this is talking about salvation. Verse number 12, those by the wayside are ones who hear it. The devil comes, takes the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be 
So is this context talking about salvation? Yes, because of the context of believing and saving. Number one, the context, believing and saving. Number two, the Greek word for the word believe here is also the word faith, which renders a heart unto salvation, or which renders a heart to confession. So the word faith here is the word to believe. Okay, So it is primarily speaking about somebody believing in the gospel or somebody putting their faith in the word because verse number 11, the seed is the word of God. Now you'll see in the book of Acts that they heard the word, Samaria. They heard Acts chapter 8. Heard the word. Am I right? And the whole city of Samaria received the word and they rejoiced. So it's comparable to salvation here. There's, there's other things I could say, but I've got to go on. Number one, I want you to see that the Scripture says that those who received the Word received it, they kept it, but they kept it with patience. The Greek word patience means endurance. Endurance. It's interesting. Verse number 15. They kept the Word. They bear fruit with endurance. So in the Christian life, it seems as though the other Scriptures I've read, and especially this one, it is suggesting to us that salvation is wrought by the blood of Christ. It is wrought by grace. We accept it. You see, God gives us the check. The check is free, but you've got to endorse the check. You've got to sign your name to the check that you accept it. So salvation is free, but you've got to continue in that thing by your believing. As long as you believe and continue to put your faith in Christ, you are saved. You were saved. You're being saved. Because you're believing, you shall be saved at the end. Okay, so, so I believe it's talking about salvation here. And Jesus clearly defines there are those who will believe for a while and fall away. And then there are those who will believe and produce fruit with endurance, bear fruit. This scripture teaches us two classes of people. It teaches us some will believe temporarily, fall away. Some will remain. And why do they remain? Because they keep it, they have endurance, and they bear fruit. Are you bearing fruit in your life? Are you persevering in your Christian life with endurance? I, listen, I've seen lots of people that gave up because it got too hard. Seriously. They walked away from it because it became too fit right here, don't they? They believed for a while, but they fell away. Just, just think of all the people you know who really loved God at one time. Served God with great passion. They're not in church any longer. They don't serve God any longer. I know lots of those people. They didn't have endurance. and They didn't have fruit that remained. I'm more concerned about you bearing fruit than you bearing gifts. Oh, boy, thank you, Brother Mike. Can I say that again? I'm more concerned about you bearing fruit than you bearing a bunch of gifts serving the church. Because what does the Scripture say? They'll see your good works and glorify the Father in heaven. Not your gifts, but your good works. All right? Which is your fruit. So, number one, I 
went to the sea, that you've got to remain in him, keep it. Look at John chapter 8, verse 51. John chapter 8, verse number 51. You've got to keep it, and then you've got to remain in it. John chapter 8, verse 51. John chapter 8, and verse number 51. 51. John 8, verse 51. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. If you keep my word, you will never see death. Somebody shout, I got to keep the word. I got to keep the word. Keep the word. Luke chapter 11 and verse 28. Luke chapter 11 and verse number 28. Luke chapter 11 and verse number 28. Luke chapter 11 and verse number 28. And he said to them, more than that, because the people were yelling in the crowd, blessed, you know, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast that, that nursed you. Jesus said, more than that, but blessed are those who hear my word and keep it. You've got to keep the word. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. 1 Timothy chapter 4, and verse number 16. 1 Timothy chapter 4, and verse number 16. Listen to the words of Timothy. Take heed to yourself and to teaching, or to doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and those that hear it. What do you got to do? Continue in what? you got to continue in the teaching. For in doing so, your soul will be saved. Your soul will be saved if you continue in it. Now, you say, well, Pastor Josh, why do we got to continue? Because listen, God's not going to violate your free moral will. You've got a part to play in this. Now, you're not saved by your good works. Let me just make sure. Let me make sure we understand you're not saved by your good works. You're not saved by your church attendance. You're saved because of what Christ has done on the cross of Christ. It is a free gift. But at any time, you can walk away from it. Isn't that awesome? It's really an awesome gift that you can reject it. You can walk away from it because you're not going to be forced to do something you don't want to do. Can I hear somebody's amen? Second, second, we'll look at First uh, Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 1. First Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 1. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 1. Look what Paul says here. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, and in which you, what? Stand. Verse number 2. So you've received the gospel, but you've got to stand. By which you are also, what? Saved. If you hold fast to that word which I've preached to you. Boy, somebody help me preach. If you hold, what? Fast to the word I've preached to you. You've got to hold fast to it. Go back to verse number 1. He says, verse number 1, Moreover, brother, I declare to you the gospel that I preach to you, which you also received, and you've heard, and you stand. You've received it, you're standing in the Word. He says, verse number 2, by which you're also saved, if you hold fast to the Word I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. Let me ask you something. Are you believing tonight? Are you continuing believing? 
Don't let the devil come to you and tell you it's not real. Don't let him come to you and say healing's not real and salvation's not real and God's given up on deliverance and healing and sanctifying people. Come on, ladies and gentlemen. We've got to hold on to the Word of God. We've got to believe the Word of God with endurance all the way to the very end. Can't give up on the Word. The Word don't give up on you. You've got to hold on to that thing. Believe it. Confess it. Walk in it. Because if you give up believing in it and walking in it and declaring it, you're going to fall away. You're going to fall away in the end. Put your faith in it. Trust it. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13. But evil men, 2 Timothy 3, verse 13, but evil men, Posers will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Verse 14. But you must, in the things which you have, and the things you've been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned it. Hallelujah. Is there anybody continuing in this thing? <laughs> Come on, is there anybody saying, Pastor, I'm in this thing? I'm going to stay in this thing. I'm believing this thing. I believe it with endurance. Can I hear an amen? Continue to believe it. Over and over, the Scripture is clear. What about Colossians chapter 1, verse 21? Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. Colossians 1, verse 21. And you who once were alienated and your enemies in your mind by your wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach in His sight. Verse number 23, if indeed you continue in the faith grounded and steadfast. We read it earlier. If you continue, you've got to must continue. You see, the, last, the first part of the Scripture talked about people become born again. Is that right? If you continue in the faith grounded, Number one, we see the parable of those who believed for a while, didn't have fruit to maturity. Now, I didn't say they didn't have any fruit. They just didn't have fruit to maturity. And then you have the other class. They kept the word, and they had fruit to maturity. They had endurance. Jesus said there's two classes here, and I just read these scriptures to you where the Scripture is implying that although salvation is free, there is a believing, in, a continual believing in Christ. Not, I believe once, and that's over, but a continual believing. Now, a continual in the faith. We do have a free will in this. Now, let's go to another Scripture, Luke chapter 10. Luke, I mean, excuse me, Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12 and verse number 42. Luke chapter 12, verse number 42. Now, get this parable. If you don't have the Bible, look up here. Luke 12, verse 42. And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward, whom his master will make him ruler over his household, to give them their portion of food in due season? Blessed is that servant 
whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. But if that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat the male and female servants to eat and drink and to be drunk, the master of that servant will come on that day, on a day, when he is not looking for him, and at the hour when he is not aware, and will cut him into two, and appoint his portion with the unbelievers. That servant who knew his master's will, and did not prepare himself, or do according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. Now, this is an odd parable. But I think the parable is pretty much self-explanatory. There is a master, and there is a servant. Now, number one, okay, I'm going to be behind me. Number one, it's called the question. Question. Okay? Everybody shout, question. Verse number 42 is the question. Now, what is the question? What is the question? Who then is the faithful bondservant? The Lord is asking a question. Of whom the master will make ruler of his household to give them the, the portion of food in due season. So the question is, who is the faithful and wise steward whom the Lord will reward at his coming? So the Lord is asking a question. The answer, so you have the question, and now you have the answer. The answer is verse 43. Verse 43, Blessed is the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. So the question is, who is that faithful and wise steward? Okay? Who is the faithful and wise steward or servant? And the answer is, the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. So who is the faithful and wise servant? That's the question. The answer is, the servant is doing the will of the master. Okay, do, do we got that. Somebody say, I got it. What is the question? Who is the faithful and wise servant? The answer is, the servant is carrying out the master's will and wishes. Okay? Now, the reward is found in verse 44. Verse 44 is the reward. So you have the question, the answer, the reward. The reward is verse 44. Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. So you see the progression here? Jesus answers. Jesus asks the question. There is an answer and there is a reward. So let's just stop there. The question, what is the question? Who is the faithful and wise servant? Whom the Lord will reward at his coming. The answer is verse 43. Who is that servant? The servant that's carrying out the master's wishes and wants. The reward is, if you do that, verse 44, he will make you ruler over everything that he has. Now, how many would love to find the master how many would love the master to appoint you over something? And how are you going to be appointed if you do what the master said? Is that right? So you have the question, the answer, 
the reward, and now you have the pearl. You have, you have the devastation of this. And the devastation of this, or the crisis of this situation, is verse number 45. Verse 45 is the crisis. The crisis of the situation is that the servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat the male and female servants to eat and drink and to be drunk. So the crisis of it is that this servant, he begins to become careless and he becomes unfaithful with what the master said to him. He thought he wasn't coming. The servant thought the master was delaying his coming. Now, that, that will preach right there. How many Christians have forfeited their salvation because they didn't think Jesus was ever coming back? You hear me? We've heard it since we've been in Sunday school. I, a couple weeks ago, I heard, supposedly a Christian said to me, well, I've heard that all my life. I heard Jesus was coming back. He still hasn't come back. I don't know whether I believe it or not. That, that was his exact word to me. I don't know if I believe it or not. He said he was coming. I don't know whether to believe that stuff anymore. I've heard it since. The servant says, the master, he ain't coming back. And what does he do? He becomes careless and unfaithful with what God told him to do. Now, it ends with the penalty. It ends with judgment. Verse number 46, the master of that servant will come on that day when he's not looking for him and at the hour which he's not aware and will cut him in two and appoint his portion with the unbelievers. So, Jesus here gives this interesting dialogue on a master and a servant. Who is this faithful servant? Well, who is that faithful wise servant? Jesus says, well, that servant is the person who's doing the master's will. His reward is that he's going to give him a portion. But the problem was they become careless and unfaithful with what God told them to do. And then the penalty was judgment was that he was cast with the unbelievers. Isn't that interesting? Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 20. Excuse me, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 38. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 38. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 38. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back. Now, David, David Gates, I was thinking about the scripture today. I thought, how many times have we quoted that one scripture? The just shall live by faith. I mean, we, we get up and preach it. The just shall live by faith. But we, we just forget about that one little phrase there. It's kind of like the scripture that states, uh, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. That's not what the scripture says. The scripture states, what does it say, David? 
we, we read scripture so much that we don't read scripture. We, we just overlook it there. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure. So even though you're justified by faith and you're walking in faith, you have the ability to draw back. He says, I have no pleasure in him. Now, Calvinists say, well, that's not really speaking to Christians. We can't just spiritualize everything. Can, can I hear an amen? Because the word is the word. How many knows that? 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse number 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse number 5. He says, examine yourself as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Do you not know yourself that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. Examine your heart, he says, to see whether you're in the faith. What about Matthew chapter 18, number 2? This is, a, uh, is, a, is, a, is or number 3. This main scripture that Jesus uses in Matthew chapter 18. I want you to look at verse number 28. Matthew 18 and verse number 28. Matthew chapter 18 and verse number 21. I'm sorry. Matthew 18, verse number 21. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often should I forgive my brother, brother's sin against me? And I forgive him up to seven times. Up to seven times, excuse me. Verse 22, and Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to 70 times, seven times, but to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife, his children, and all that he had, and that the payments be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And the master of the servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him of the debt. But the servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, who owed him a hundred denarii, and he laid hands on him, took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison until he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what he had done, they were very grieved and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant. I forgave you of all the debt because you begged me. Should you not also have compassion on your fellow servant just as I've had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father, sometimes we overlook this. Look what Jesus said to him. My heavenly Father will also do each of you from his heart if he does not forgive his brother of his faults. Who will, who will do this to you? My father will do this to you. 
So you have a servant. Now get this. Now the principle, I want you to see the principle. The principle is the servant was forgiven of a large debt. But yet he could not grow in his faith to forgive other people of their trespasses. And because he would not deal with it, at the end, he was thrown in a place of torture. So could it be that you could be forgiven and redeemed and yet somehow lose it because you have not necessarily allowed the forgiveness of God to flow through you to people? Could it be? Right? And lastly, John chapter 15, verse 1. There's other scriptures, but you know, I only have like two minutes left. I just feel like there's so much stuff after I just started studying all this stuff. There's so much stuff. It's almost impossible for me to read everything. Okay, I do have one more session, but I really want to focus next week on Hebrews chapter 6. Uh, John chapter 15 and verse number 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine. <coughs> Excuse me, vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Let me just say this to you. Your life as a believer, if you're connected to the vine, is not just to bear fruit, but you should be on a continual quest to bear as much fruit as possible. What is fruit? Fruit is a display visible display that you're connected to a root system. It's something visible. It's character traits. It's good works. It's something visible. It's, it could be general. I mean, there's a whole list of things. But it should be visible in your life that Jesus has made a change in you. Look at it. Verse number 4. You are already clean, verse 3, because of the word which I've spoken to you. Isn't that awesome? You're already clean because of the word I've spoke to you. How many knows the word can make you clean tonight? Somebody say amen. Verse number four, he says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse number five, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, I in him, bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. Now look at verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they're gathered them and thrown them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. You will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear fruit. So, you are my disciples. So, Jesus is clearly saying that, number one, there is a mutual indwelling of each other. I am in you, and you are in me. It's just not about me and you, but it's about you and me. Okay? There's a mutual indwelling of each other. Okay? I am in you, you are in me. We're together. There's a mutual thing. He says, number two, there's consequences of abiding in Christ. The 
consequence is that you bear much fruit. That's the result of you bearing much fruit. But the failure of that is, is that you're thrown. If you don't bear fruit, if you don't continue to abide in me, then you're like a branch that's thrown out into the fire. So, on and on, Jesus says you've got to continue to abide in me. See, so ladies and gentlemen, I am proposing tonight that it's possible that somebody could lose out if they don't continue to believe in Christ. They don't continue to keep in faith. What is backsliding? Backsliding is the habitual, deliberate, willful act of sinning. It doesn't happen overnight. You deliberately, willfully walk away from it. It's what theologians refer to who apostatize the faith as apostasy. You turn your back against Christ. And I have met a few of those in my life, of those who serve Christ and who've actually... I'm not talking about somebody who loves Jesus and has a bunch of struggles. Don't get that confused. There's a lot of people in the church that love Jesus, and they have a lot of issues. Okay, They have some marital issues. They have relational issues. They're dealing with sin. They deal with struggle. They may even deal with addiction. I'm not saying that, because I firmly believe that Christians can have a lot of issues, and they can deal with sin. Come on, somebody. And they can struggle with a bunch of stuff. Your struggle does not disqualify you from being a Christian. Can I hear an amen? As a matter of fact, I would propose that struggle is the sign that you are a Christian. Because before the garden, listen, now let me close with this. In the garden of Eden, you are composed of body, soul, and spirit. The body, soul, and spirit. The body, when Adam and Eve sinned, the body became king. And the spirit became dead. And the soul, which is the mind, the will, and emotions, became the servant. And the servant carries out the king's wishes. The mind, the will, and the emotions is the servant. It carries out who is in control. Your body, the Adamic nature, is either in control or the spirit is either in control. The spirit of a man once it's generated, always loves God. It wants to please God. It wants to be in the house of God. When the spirit of a man is generated, it is towards God. It loves God. It wants to please God. The Adamic nature is against God. The soul is the servant. The mind, the will, and emotions, it carries out whoever is in control. So when Adam and Eve sinned, the spirit died, it was no longer king, and the body became king, and the soul, the mind, the will, and emotions carried out what the body wanted. So therefore, Cain killed his brother Abel, Abel, and, and there was, you know, Lamech had multiple wives, and there was polygamy because the body was in control, and the mind and the will and the emotions carry out whoever is king. See what I'm saying? Well, Jesus said you must be born again. That spirit that died in the garden, once you put your faith and trust in Christ alone, the Spirit of God regenerates that thing 
called the spirit of man, he comes alive. And now there is a struggle between the spirit and the body. So if you've got struggle tonight, guess what? You're saved. <laughs> Can I hear an amen? You're born again if there's that struggle. Jesus, Jesus said, my flesh is weak, but my spirit is willing. There's a constant struggle. That's where you get carnal Christians. Because carnal Christians walk in the Adamic nature. The Spirit wants to please God, but they're always following this. But those who are not born again and regenerated, they don't have no struggle. They just follow their, their nature. They just follow the sin. There's no struggle. But for believers, there's believers that have issues. I've prayed with people and cried with people. They love God so much, but there's issues. They can't get victory over it. They don't know how to get victory over it. But I know they're saved because there's that struggle there. They want to please God. They want to honor God. They want to do what's right, but they don't want to do this. Remember what Paul said, the things I don't want to do, I end up doing? Sometimes as a Christian, we have lots of struggle. But I'm telling you tonight, don't give up. Hold on to the Word. Hallelujah. Hold on to the Word. So tonight, if you think you're crazy, you say, well, Pastor, i got all kinds of issues. Well, guess what? Welcome to our group tonight. We all got issues. If you're struggling tonight, guess what? Join the group. My fear is, is that you quit struggling and you just give in and say, well, I'm just going to go this way. No, 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 no. Keep the struggle up, baby. Hallelujah. Because that Adamic nature is warring against the Spirit of God on the inside of you. But ladies and gentlemen, you don't have to sin. You don't have to give up. The Spirit of God is working out that salvation on the inside of you. So tonight, you don't have to walk out and say, boy, I, 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 I just might, I don't know if I, I might lose myself. You don't, you're not going to lose your salvation. You love Jesus tonight. You're holding on to the Word. There's no fear and condemnation to those who walk in Christ Jesus. You can be saved as long as you want to be saved. He can keep you from falling. But the moment you decide by a willful, deliberate act that you don't want to serve God anymore, guess what? God ain't going to handcuff you and make you serve Him. What a deal. Hallelujah. Raise your right hand and say, I'm, I'm victorious. Come on, raise your right hand and say, I'm victorious. <laughs>